Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up to uh, Revelation chapter 9. And if we're going to get after it, we better get going. Last week I was supposed to do two chapters. I'm not going to pretend this week. We've got enough to do in chapter 9. So put on your seatbelts, and I want you to track with me a little bit as we go through this. We do have to begin in chapter 8, verse 13, because that sets up chapter 9. Um, we've told you guys many times, but in, the, in your Bible, the words of your Bible are inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're infallible. They're, 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 um, they're, they're good for correction and doctrine, for reproof, for instruction. The Bible says that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to divide between the bone and the marrow. The Word of God is that solid. But the chapters and the verses, they were not added by the Holy Spirit. They were added later by men, and so we could find the chapter and the verse, and they did a good job. But sometimes you, you want an idea or something to go with the next chapter, and here's one of those cases. And in verse 13 it says, And I looked, and I heard, and an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice. Everybody say this with me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. One more time, everybody. Whoa, whoa, whoa. To the inhabitants of the earth, because the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. So when, you, when, I, when I hear, whoa, 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 I think like I'm riding a horse. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There was a pastor who had a horse, and he sold his horse, and he told the guy that bought the horse, he said, um, I only trained that horse with two commands. If you want him to go, you say, praise the Lord, and he'll take off. And if you want him to stop, you say, amen, and he'll stop. And the guy said, okay, all right, fine. So he gets on the horse, and he starts kicking it and saying, giddy up, and the horse don't go anywhere. And he says, oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. And the horse takes off. And the horse is galloping right towards a cliff. And he's like, oh my goodness. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the horse won't stop. And he's pulling on the reins. Nothing he could do will stop. And he finally remembers at the last minute. And he says, amen. And the horse screeches to a stop right at the edge of the cliff. And the guy takes a deep breath. He looks over the edge of the cliff. And he's like, I am so glad we didn't go over that. Praise the Lord. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. And so we talked about, we saw last week the first, the trumpet blasts are blown. Now just remember where we are. There's three progressions of sevens, and the number in the Revelation repeated over and over again is the number seven. And so we had the seven seal judgments, and as God opened the seal judgments in heaven, different judgments and trials were being poured out on the earth. And we had finished the seven seal judgments. The first four seal judgments were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And when they got done riding, a third of mankind had been killed. And we get through the seven seals, and the seventh seal is the prelude to the trumpets. And that's the way they work. The seventh is the prelude to the first of the next. And now we're in the trumpets, and we're on our way to the bold judgments. And through the seven-year period, these seven um, seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls of God's judgment will be poured out on the earth. In the first three trumpets, or four trumpet blasts that, that we heard last week, we saw what possibly was a comet coming to the earth. We saw something that was described as a mountain on fire. And if you're standing and you're seeing something falling from the sky that looks like a mountain on fire, it could be, a, it could be several things, but it sounds like it's a comet or a meteor or something like that that is hitting planet earth. And it creates a darkness on the earth. And it creates cold weather. And, and it creates, you know, death. And things are happening. And now we get to the last three of the trumpets. And yet, before the, the last three trumpets of Revelation 9 are blown... We have this warning, whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember when Revelation chapter 8 started, it says that there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. And that's how we know there's no women in heaven, right? 
Just kidding. It was a bad joke last week. It's worse this week. And there was a few of you that weren't here that had to hear it. But, um, but, but it's, it's very scary and ominous what's about to take place. And it started that way with, with the trumpet judgments. And as we get to nine, it just continues to get more and more scary as we begin this. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then in, in, in chapter nine, verse one, it says, the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth and to him, everybody say to him, was given the key to the bottomless pit. So we, we saw in other places where stars are falling from heaven and they're symbolic of, of bombs or again meteors or something or hail. But in this particular star, this is a him. This is, this is a person, a thing, uh, an angelic being that has fallen from heaven. And he's given the keys to the bottomless pit. So it's very possible here that this him here, this fallen star, as it were, um, one of the descriptions of Satan in your Bible, he's called the morning star. And so it's very possible that this is Satan or a demonic being. Now, what we're going to see as we go through this, and there's, there's actually three different mentions um, through Revelation 9 of a demonic entity that oftentimes is described as Satan himself. Me, um, as, as a Bible teacher, you know, I can't teach something unless... I can see it. And guys that are much smarter than I am and, and know this stuff better, they see this as Satan, and so I get it. But at the same time, I, I see a little inconsistency, and I'll try to identify them as we go through. Because number one, Satan is not omnipresent, right? God is omnipresent, and Satan cannot be in all places at, at, at the same time. And, and Satan currently, we know that he is um, possessing the Antichrist. We know that in the narrative. The Antichrist is already raised up. Now, I guess what I don't understand is how that, that satanic possession works of the Antichrist. Does Satan um, control him at times and leave at times when he's busy doing other things? Quite possibly. When Satan himself entered Judas Iscariot, he entered Judas Iscariot, and, and, and then Judas went out and hung himself. And, you know, oftentimes we see that where there's a death and then the demon is released or leaves that way. And I don't know that Satan is necessarily bound but we do see biblically where Satan himself will enter. And we have demons and demonic hosts and spiritual hosts and wicked um, in heavenly places described for us in Ephesians in the spiritual battle. And oftentimes when we talk about demon possession, we're, we're not talking about Satan himself. We're talking about his host, his horde. But in two occasions with Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus and the Antichrist, Satan himself is going to do the job so it doesn't get messed up. And so, again, with the, with the lack of Satan's omnipresence, I don't know where he fits in this chapter. You can kind of fit. But this is either, as we go through the three examples, I'll just tell you, it's either Satan himself, and, and quite possibly, and many believe this is Satan himself, or it's a high-ranking demonic entity that, that is being used. Now, just look real quickly, just for a quick reference. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. And here it says, in verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain is in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So here we have in Revelation 20, we have an angel with the same key to the same bottomless pit that's mentioned here in chapter 9. But this time it's obviously not Satan because he has a chain <coughs> and he's going to bind Satan and the beast and the dragon, the serpent of old, and he's going to bind him for a thousand years. 
So we have this other angel coming down in chapter 20. But the difference in chapter 9, go back to chapter 9, is it's specific that this is a angel. And so when you see that term, that's, you know, the demons were one-time angels that fell when Lucifer fell and he swept his tail and a third of the host came with him. So, but again, most likely this is Satan and he's given the key. Now, what's going to happen is he's going to go to a place and he's going to take this key given to him and he's going to open this abyss and out of it is going to come these vile, vile, demonic beings that are going to wreak havoc on the earth. As the angel said, woe, 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 as he knew what was coming. As he knew about the vileness of these demons and the wretchedness of the demons that were about to be released. But even in this, and as you see throughout the Bible, God is still in control. And I can encourage us as we go through this to see that God has to give him the key. He doesn't have the power to release these demons. These demons don't have the power to release themselves. They're trapped on, um, because of God's um, will and God's accord. And so Satan is, or God is still in control, and he gives Satan this key, and it says in verse 2, And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace. And so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. You know, this summer we've had bad fires all through California and Washington. And for us, we had we got the brunt of it because it covered our state with smoke for the whole summer. But I can remember being in Reno about the middle of the summer and the worst part of the fire. And it was so bad. It was like, the, you know, usually it feels like the smoke is above you and you can smell in the air. Don't, this felt like it was on the ground, that you were in it. And it was just terrible. But this smoke, there's going to be so much smoke that's going to come out of this fire in this pit. It tells us in verse 20 um, or in verse 18 by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone. So this smoke that's covering the earth that comes out of this pit, people are going to die from it, that it's so much. And so, again, the, this um, Satan or this fallen angel, this star fallen from heaven is given a key. He opens the bottomless pig, the bottomless pig. That's coming up. The bottomless pit. And it says, Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given the power as the scorpions of the power of the earth. So this is a, a group of special bad, and we'll get to their description here in a minute. But before I get to their description, I'll talk about what is happening here and who this is. These, these are demons that are especially bad. They're not your average run-of-the-mill demons. Now, I, I need to do a little... Um, kind of background, but turn with me, if you will, really quickly. I want to introduce something to you. For some of you, this might be new. Some of you might have heard of this. Um, Genesis chapter 6. There's a story in Genesis 6 that happened right before the flood. Now, one of the reasons that God had to flood the earth, because flooding the earth and killing the entire population of the earth, doesn't that seem a bit extreme? But yet there were extreme conditions that were on planet earth. And, and part of Satan's plan, and he still tries to execute this plan all through history, one of Satan's ploys is he understands that if he can kill all the Jews, that the Bible will fail. And so, so, so anti-Semitism and the hatred of the Jews and, and Hitler and Naaman and Nimrod and, and Antiochus Epiphanes and all these through history that have tried to kill and murder all the Jews, it's a satanic plot, it's a satanic plan, because Satan knows that Jesus was going to be a Jew. He was going, the Messiah was going to come as a Jew. And he knows that, that the Messiah is coming back to Israel and that, that they need Israel and the Jew to fulfill Bible prophecy. So Satan's plan has been to destroy them. Well, his plan was no different in Genesis chapter 6. And if he could accomplish this here in Genesis 6, 
then Messiah could not have come. And so again, Satan is not creative at all. He, he, just, he's not, he has no creative gene in him. He only can, can um, duplicate what he's already done, and he can only copy or pervert what God has created. But here in Genesis 6, we have this interesting story. Let's, let's take a look at it. Genesis 6, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, I want you guys to say this Hebrew word with me, you ready? I'll say it, and then you can repeat it after me. Benaiah Elohim. Benaiah Elohim. This term in the Greek is Benaiah Elohim. So the Benaiah Elohim saw the daughters of men, and they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves and all who they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And so this is, says where the, the days of man shall be 120 years. If you're trying to figure out what a biblical generation is, there, there's actually several places in the Bible. This is one of them. It says 120 years. In the Psalms, it says 70 years. It's given to man 70 years to live, and anything after that is a blessing. There's also a place in the Bible where it says 40 years is a, is a biblical generation. And so you really have three pretty solid cases of what a biblical generation is. But this is just a little side note. This is one of them here. And in verse 4, it says, And there were giants, everybody say giants, on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the Benaiah Elohim came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them, to them, and these were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. And then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil, continually no Messiah. So what's happening here in Genesis chapter 6? Well, the the sons of God, or the Benaiah Elohim, or these demonic spirits, it says are intermarrying with the sons, the daughters of men, and they're they're having a race of giants, of 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 Nephilim, that Anakim on the land, and they're half demon, half human, and they're perverting the 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 race of planet Earth. Now again, it gets a little technical as far as what's going on here, and. You know, uh, one of the pastors that I, that I heard on this, it just made sense. You have to deal with this. He said that demons don't have, you know, sex organs and parts. And how could demons have sex with humans? And, and, but that appears to be what's going on here. But there are other solutions for that because we know that, that angels can appear and take on flesh and, and, and can that, that problem can be solved. And again, um, these were a special breed of demons. And the Bible says that they, they left the bounds that God had put for them. So whether how it happened physically and we but we know they're not it's not normal just evilness because why would then this this relationship that's taking place between the Benaiah Elohim and the sons of daughter why would it produce these Nephilim or these giants now you know these these folklores about giants around the earth have anybody seen those there's giants on the earth and they found giant bones and these people they were 12 feet tall that's all true. I don't think they exist today. There's a story about in 20, uh, 2012 in the mountains of Afghanistan that our Marines um, encountered a giant, a live giant today that was 16 feet tall, and they fought him, and he ripped a couple of them in half, and they killed him. Well, again, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. But it, you do hear those stories. But part of the stories that we hear today, and we'll see this in our Bible study today too, we'll see it about zombies, and we'll see it about a couple other things. A lot of the folklore that we have they, they are true at what some, to some extent. And they're either perverted or they're there. But these were giants. So with these particular giants, 
God flooded the earth and he sent them here in Genesis 6 to the abyss. Now turn with me to Luke. I'm sorry, you guys, I got to blow my nose and I'm trying not to. I'm trying to. That's why I'm in. Yeah, I'll just wait. I'll just keep fighting it out. It says, look in Luke, chap, in, Luke in chapter 8, in verse number 31. Luke 8, 31. I'll wait for you to get there because I want you to follow this progression with me. Luke 8, 31. It says, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the, anybody? Abyss. Okay, that, that same abyss that, so I didn't read the whole story, but I'll just tell you here in Luke chapter 8, that's the story where G- Jesus is in Gadara, and, and that guy comes, and he's demon-possessed, and Jesus says, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And Jesus casts the demons out of him, and the demons ask Jesus that to not be be sent to the abyss before their time, but could they go into the pigs? And Jesus allows it. He sends them into the pigs. The pigs run down the side of the mountain. Our first example of suicide in the Bible. Deviled ham. Come on, you know, you know, as pastors, when you first become a pastor, they give you a Cracker Jack box, and it has all your jokes in it. So that, that's, that's what they are. Suicide. Deviled ham. So the pigs commit suicide, and and these. But here, don't lose, don't lose this, don't lose the point. These demons don't want to be sent to the abyss before their time. And, and now we have in Revelation nine, we have um, this fallen star, and God gives a key to him to open this bottomless pit where the worst of the worst of these demons, um, most likely again these these type of demons are these demons from from Genesis chapter six who left. The, the bounds that God put before them, the wickedest of the wicked, and they're released on planet Earth. That's what's taking place. You guys tracking? Okay. Um, so let's go back to Revelation and let's see what these are. We know, again, they're special bad. Now, it, it says they're in a bottomless pit. Does anybody know where um, hell is? That that's a really good really good uh, guess, but a lot of a lot of scholars, myself included, believe that where Abraham's bosom is located is in the center of the earth. That that's for a little bit later, but since we're talking about it, let's do that right now. To um, let me have you guys turn to oh, I didn't write it down. Where's Abraham's bosom? Find that for me, somebody. It's in Luke. Oh, 16. That's where it is. Right in Luke 16. Turn to Luke 16 with me, real quick. And I want to show you something that's going on there about heaven and hell. In Luke 16 and verse 19, it says, There was a certain rich man who, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came out and licked his sores. But it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Everybody say Abraham's bosom. So this rich man died. Don't don't miss the narrative. The rich man died and he was carried to Abraham's bosom. You guys got that? Okay. And the rich man also, Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. So the poor man was taken there. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in, what's that say? Hades. Hades. Now, I want to tell you this. The English word hell is just a clumsy translation of hell because biblically, um, hell is, and I'll keep it simple, actually. We could go a little deeper into it, but to keep it on the surface for this morning, um, 
Hell is temporary and permanent. Okay? What we're seeing here is temporary. And just like God says in, in, in Revelation 21, I will create what? What does he say he's going to create? A new heaven and a new earth. So the heaven that we have right now and the earth that we have right now, we could call it temporary because God says in, in Revelation 21, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And so hell is the same way. The hell that we have, and so when we, we use the term hell, we oftentimes are referring to what we, what we assume is eternal hell. But there's two separate things. The word Hades is, is this word here. It's temporary. Sheol or um, Tartarus is another word that's used, meaning eternal hell. And we'll see that in Revelation 20 where Satan and the, anti, or the, the, the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. And so everything that's in temporary hell or right here where we're studying, where we're seeing, it's called Abraham's bosom. They're going to be judged at the great wine throne judgment. And from there, they're going to be thrown into eternal hell. So hell is temporary, still exists. So we have this, this scene here. It's called Abraham's bosom. And there was two sides to it. And there was a great chasm. I'll just read it to you. There was a great chasm in between. In verse 24, it says, then he, then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, the man, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and now you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from here pass to us. And so there's this great um, gulf between the two sides of Abraham's bosom. Very possibly a physical place located in the center of the earth. It very well could be like heaven, a spiritual place that's in another dimension, very possible. But also very possible that um, this, this thing resides and is physical in the center of the earth. And this pit kind of makes sense because it's a bottomless pit that these angels were being held in. Now, if you have something that's in the center of the earth, that's the distance of the earth, and you began to fall in it with the rotation of the earth, that, that thing could be, you could be falling for all of eternity in, in the same exact pit and never hit the bottom. And so it's very possible, again, and, and none of this stuff is neither here nor there, you guys, but it is interesting and very possible that, that Abraham's bosom is located in the center of the earth. But more importantly, um, the Bible says that, that, that when Jesus ascended to heaven, before he ascended, he first what? Descended. Kind of getting tripped up because I think I'm moving a little too fast. Everybody tracking with me or have I lost you all already? You all asleep? Have I just kind of just too much? All right, so... It says that before Jesus ascended, he went into heaven. It says first he descended and he set captivity free. So basically what he did is he went down to Abraham's bosom on the heaven side, the big gulf in the middle, hell on one side, heaven on the other side, and, he, and nobody before Jesus died on a cross could be in the presence of God in heaven. Why not? Because they were only um, washed in the blood of what? Lambs. And lamb's blood does not wash away sins. It only covers sin. So their sins were covered, so they, they go to heaven, but they couldn't be in the presence of God because their sins were not washed away. When Jesus died on a cross, he shed his blood. Now their sins were washed away, and now they could be in the presence of heaven. So it says before Jesus ascended, he first descended, and he set captivity fr free. 
And so everybody that was in the heaven side, they're now washed in the blood of Jesus. That side is empty today because we're on this side of the cross. The Bible says if you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so that side remains empty. But the hell side is waiting for the great white throne judgment, and it's still there. And then that's a temporary place where people will be held until they face God at the end of Revelation at the great white throne judgment. And, and anybody who attends the great white throne judgment will not go to heaven because it says they all were cast into a lake of fire. But the good thing is for you and I, we won't go to the great white throne judgment. We go to a different judgment for believers. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. And that's where God gives you your rewards. So, again, we have this, this place and, again, these hells, these two hells. And you could read for reference Revelation 20. I'm going to keep moving because we've got a lot more to cover. But it, do, it does describe the temporary and the eternal hell. In verse 4, it says, They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So normally the, the, the behavior of locusts is to attack green things and trees specifically. We have bark beetles, and they destroyed the entire forest in Big Bear when I was, when I was growing up. And I remember the huge um, catastrophic event that it caused with all of these um, bark beetle dilemma. And they said bark beetles, we get them every year. But one particular year, they were so bad that they killed all the trees and the trees would fall on the power lines and, and, and create fires. And, and these particular, we know these are not bugs and beetles. They're being described as locusts because, you know, number one, we see this attribute where they don't harm the trees or the green. And then it says, in, um, oh, they had the seal of God, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads so at this point in Revelation, we, we have, um, remember we read those that were sealed, God sealed 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. And then anybody else who's getting saved is, is getting the seal. So you think of this, this protection that, that these, these folks had from these demonic hosts, hordes. And I think when I read this, like, how cool would that be? I want to seal God. I want to seal on my forehead and on my arm. And yet, you know, the Bible tells us that you and I are sealed. How cool is that? That you have the seal. I'll read it for you in case you don't believe me. But just like they're sealed in Revelation, it says in Ephesians 4.13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then in chapter 4 and verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then in 2 Corinthians 1.21, he says, Now he who, is a, who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is, is God, who also has sealed us and has given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You know, I heard a testimony of a, a guy in New York who's a Christian now, and you could go on YouTube and hear his testimony for yourself and make your own judgment how you feel about this stuff. But, you know, one of the things this guy says is that he was a, he was a Wiccan witch, and he would cast spells on people, and they were affected. And, and he got to the point where he was very good at it, and he had high-profile cases, and he was making $100,000 because his, he could effectively curse people and things would happen in their businesses and things were bad and he said but when a client would come and and as his his clientele grew to bigger and bigger fish and high dollar stuff because he was he was doing what he what he claimed he could do 
with these, with these demonic spells. He said, when the target was a Christian, he said, I always turned it down. And I told him, I can't take your money because I can't put a spell on Christians. I've tried a million times and they're protected. It doesn't work on them. And, and I believe that. I believe that the Holy Spirit and those power of those, those demonic spells and anything that's demonic, it has no power over you as a Christian because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. No different that, that in this story where this demonic horde is, is on planet Earth and they're, they're, they're affecting people except for the ones they cannot affect are the ones that have the seal of God on their life. And so don't, again, don't, don't believe that you can be cursed or you can have something bad happen to you. If you're a child of God, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And they, they, uh, Satan has nothing on the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So, uh, so those that were sealed, and then in verse 5 it says, And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. So they couldn't kill, they could only torment, and it would last five months. You know what the lifespan is of a locust? You guessed it, five months. Do you know how long the waters lasted on planet Earth after Noah's flood? You guessed it, five months. And so here we have this judgment of God that lasted five months with the Benaiah Elohim. And here we have this judgment that's going to last for five months, um, but people are not going to be able to be killed. It says their torment in verse 5 was like the torment of a scorpion. Was it the torment of a scorpion or was it like the torment of a scorpion? It was like, right? That's a simile. So what we have here are similarities. And so again, I, I pointed this out last week, like as, like as, like as. Now be careful. It's not um, symbolic or a metaphor. That, that, that can be different. That can be dangerous in studying your Bible. We take the Bible very literally. And, and you can literally understand it. When, when you need some kind of interpretation, the Bible gives it to you. It tells you that, that, it, that it's, it's like as or it needs interpretation. Because when, when people get into that, and people like to make the Bible, you know, they like to excuse away or explain away or not understand the Bible by just saying, oh, that's a metaphor. If somebody ever says that to you or that's a symbol, ask them this. What is it a metaphor for? Because if it's a metaphor or a symbol, it's supposed to represent something. But they can never answer that question because they don't know. They just try to, they think that's the end. Oh, it's a metaphor and you walk away from it. It's usually what happens. But press them a little bit farther. If it's a metaphor or if it's a symbol, what is it a symbol for? You know, if I showed you guys on the screen here a Nike swoosh, what would come to your mind? The Nike product, right? Nike, of course. If I showed you an Apple sign. So the symbol, it, it triggers something or represents something in your mind. But again, don't let those get away that want to make these things symbolic or metaphors. They, that, that's always a cop-out. They're not. They're literal unless they tell you it's not literal. And here it says it's like as. And look at, let's look at verse 6 together. And it says, and in those days, men will seek death and they will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. So um, the sting of a scorpion, one of the, the attributes of a scorpion sting, first of all, it's super painful. We don't have tons of scorpions here in the United States, but in the Middle East, it's a, it's a big, big issue where they really have scorpions that you know, are in the wild and they're a threat. But one of the things is they, have a para they paralyze you to a certain extent. They numb you. And so I've heard somebody say, because here are these people, they won't be able to die. And one of the things I've heard, which I've never been able to wrap my mind around, I just can't go there, but they're like, yeah, so people will shoot themselves and, and they won't be able to die because God will forbid them from dying in this, in this plague. They'll jump off a cliff and they'll, they'll get up. And then we would have real life zombies. And it's funny because the world is fascinated with zombies. And, and there's a reason where this stuff, they don't just make this stuff up. Satan just doesn't make anything up. He has no creative genes, I promise you. 
So anything that the world is fascinated with, Satan has given them the fascination that comes from something in your Bible. And, and we see these things. We see these zombie-like creatures. And, and, and me personally, I don't think, I, I could never wrap my mind around the idea that, that, that they could do anything they want to their body and God just refuses to let their soul go for five months. Now, he is going to refuse to let their soul go for five months. But still, I mean, guillotines, you chop your head off and you're like the lantern dude. You walk around, your head's talking and you're like, I mean, I don't know. They can't die. That, that, the, the one thing that's fact here is these folks can't not die. It says they wish to die and they can't. But maybe it's, it's not necessarily those kind of things. Maybe it's just the desire to die. There's so much pain. And it's so terrible that they wish to die, but they cannot. And again, I know lots of people that believe, yeah, they're trying to commit suicide and they, they just can't die. That's fine, too, um, as an interpretation. But again, this fascination. You know, it's funny because you notice how all the movies, um, the world is fascinated with a couple things. Aliens, zombies, and, and mass disappearance of people. Tons of movies and Armageddon-type movies. Like the one where they have to fly the nukes into the comet. It was called Armageddon, right? But Armageddon is funny because the word Armageddon in the English is revelation. It doesn't even mean like anything ominous or bombs or 100-pound hailstones. The word Armageddon, all it means is the revealing, the apocalypse, the, um, the unveiling. It's like a curtain moving and you get to see what's behind it. But the world is fascinated with all this stuff. They make movies about it. They, they, they dwell on it because they know it's coming. They know, again, it makes your Bible true. You know, they, they, don't, they don't fascinate with unicorns and Santa Claus and things that they know are not real. But because God is real and His Word is true, they're super fascinating. They're trying to, Satan is trying to prepare the world so when they see these things, you know, they'll think, they'll think nothing of it. And in verse 7 it says, The shape of the locusts was like horses. Everybody say, like horses. Prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. And on their face were the face of men. They had the hair like women's hair. They had teeth like a lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. And the sound of the chariots was many horses running to battle. And they had scorpions, like tails like scorpions. And they were sting in their tails and the power to hurt men for five months. And so... Um, have you, guys, you just have to Google it. I was going to bring you a picture of it, but you could Google it. Just Google Revelation 9, and you'll see different pictures of, of different renditions of what this thing looks like. Kind of horse body, um, man's face, women's hair, lion's teeth. Um, it's locusts. And so you have this demonic thing that's, that's coming out. Now, I think there's really some truth that can be had in the descriptions of, of, of this particular locust. And so, first of all, it says it's, Horses. And in the Bible, horses speaks of men's self-sufficiency. Men are full of pride. The Bible says we trust in chariots and horses. And God doesn't want us to trust in chariots and horses. He doesn't want you men. Listen, all you tough men in here, this is Utah. I know you guys are armed to the teeth. God does not want you trusting in those guns, okay? Those guns might save you from some bad guy, but you're not going to shoot these demons with them. And you're not going to fight the spiritual battles in your life. And, and those things are not what make you safe. God makes you safe. The Holy Spirit makes you safe, okay? And so, so God doesn't, just doesn't want us to trust in those things. We can have those things. We can use those things for our protection as long as we trust in the Lord um, first. And so the, the horses are, again, their pride. You know, uh, build back better is, is, a, is a mantra of pride in the world. You know, when 9-11 happened, they, they came out. The congressman came in front of the United States to speak to us 
And what he said was, he said, we will build back better. We will build back with cedar. And and again, when you see this, the same thing happened after 9-11. Instead of us coming out as a nation and saying, we repent. Like we as a nation, we need to seek God and humble ourselves. When something happens, we, we puff our chest out and we say, we'll build back better and we'll build it stronger than it was before. When, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and there was this devastation and, and New Orleans happens just to have some of the most debaucherous and wicked um, things that go on in the, in the world happen in New Orleans. And rather than the people of New Orleans come out and, and seek God and repent of their sins, what did they say? We're going to build back better. You know, their, 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 their response to Katrina was they wanted to get back to having Mardi Gras as fast as they possibly could. And the world, we just don't repent. We, we don't seek the Lord. And that's the idea here is that, that these men and these things, they're not going to repent and we don't. And that's, again, the idea of the horses. And then the crowns is always a sign of authority. And then their men's faces, human intelligence, women's hair is, is kind of some, some sort of seductive or lust nature to this, this demon. Uh, lion's teeth, they're frightening, they're cruel, they're penetrating. It has a breastplate of iron. And a breastplate of iron can speak of strength. It can also speak of a, of a calloused heart and no mercy, that they'll have no mercy. And then um, it says they have, they have um, wings of chariots. And so there's an overpowering sound as well. So you think of this overpowering sound and it's ominous and it's, it's like horses, chariots, and you're being stung and you wish to die and it's painful and you can't die. And you're in amazing pain and torment from this scary demonic beasts that are flying around and you're hiding in a house and they're coming through the windows and, and attacking. And there's no escape, there's no death, there's nothing that can, can help. In verse 11 it says, And they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. So again, very possibly here, another, the second reference to Satan himself in this chapter. And again, whether this is Satan or a king, it kind of depends here. If this particular Apollyon or Abaddon, who's the king of the locusts, now, we know that this is not talking about real locusts. In Proverbs, and why would the Bible tell us about a locust plague? And the locust plagues are, are a big deal. You know, they've had them all over. A couple of years ago, I remember I was watching some of the locust plagues that were taking place in Africa and Egypt, and they were coming towards Israel. Um, but it tells us in the Proverbs that the locusts have no king over them, yet they march in order. And, and so locusts have no king. Well, this particular horde of locusts does have a king. So we know they're not, again, we know they're not real locusts. But this king that's Apollyon and Badon, depending on how you read this, if, if, if when the bottomless pit opened up, if this king was in the bottomless pit with them, it can't be Satan, right? Satan is not bound in a bottomless pit as we speak, is he? So that can't be. If, if it's a different reference and he's leading them, but he wasn't bound with them, then it could be Satan. And again, I, I don't know, it's sixes. Whether It doesn't really kind of matter too much to me whether this is Satan or not. Like I said, I should have just left it alone and just made it all Satan. It would have went right over everybody's, you know, we would have thought twice about it. But I, I just, I can't see this all as Satan myself. But it's possibly that, that again, this Apollyon and Abad, and I've always traditionally, as I've read my Bible and as I've understood it, I've always clearly understood this. This is Satan, this is Satan, this is Satan. And again, it very well could be, but nonetheless, they have a king over them in the Hebrew, his name. And the word um, Apollyon and Abaddon, they're basically the same word. One means destroyer, and the other one is destroyed. Um, and so they're, they're the same idea. He has the name destroyer. 
And then in verse 12, it says, One woe is past. Behold, still two more are coming after these things. Hey, I know we're out of time, but uh, we're, we're going to finish, and, it, and it'll be quick. We kind of covered the meat of what I wanted to cover already. Let's just kind of check the narrative for these last few verses, and then we'll be done for today. It says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, one of the um, important biblical significance of the great river Euphrates is that the location of it is near um, ancient Babylon. It's also believed that the Garden of Eden was in modern-day Iraq and near this same area. It's also in Babylon um, and in that area of Eden where the first sin happened, where Cain killed his brother Abel and the first murder happened. And so you seem to have... Satan, who, who is in this geographical location of Babylon, comes to this and everything kind of happens. Where Nimrod was, where they built the Tower of Babel, was in Babylon, was in this location at the Euphrates River. And, and again, in Revelation 17 and 18, Jesus is going to destroy the great Babylon. And so here in this, there's these four angels that are bound. And again, these ones are bound. It's not the bottomless pit, though. There's no reference to that here. But they're released. And so the four angels in verse 15, who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. These were prepared for this moment. And when they're released, they're fired up. And they don't have the restriction that the locusts had to only hurt and sting men for five months. But they're here to kill. And when they're done, a third of mankind... Is, is killed in these plagues. Now, that's a third of what's left at this point. Do you remember after the four horsemen rode, we already... So we have the rapture. So, again, if you have 8 billion people on planet Earth, I don't know what your number is, and we call it 2 billion go up in the rapture, one-fourth, 25% of planet Earth. Then you have 6 billion left. A third of those are killed in the first plagues. That brings you down to about 4.5 billion. And, and so then a third of those are killed. These are billions of people in these plagues that are being killed. And it says in verse 16, Now the number of the army, the horsemen, was 200 million. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, 200 million? Hey, 200 million, and I heard the number of them. So what's crazy is that when John wrote this on the island of Patmos, there wasn't 200 million men on planet Earth. And, and, and this has always been, an, eye, or been a, a, an area of the critics to attack the Bible, an army of 200 million. Now, they, and, and I, again, as a, as a student of the Bible, as a student of Revelation, I can remember in, in Bible college 20 years ago, the, the thinking at the time was you had to identify a, a region or a place that could field an army of 200 million. And that's why it was so fascinating when Time Magazine in 1984, they came out with the cover article that, that the Chinese um, army boasted, and they, they, they gave the number. The Red Army put the number out that they could put an army out of 200 million men. They have the largest population, and they have a mandatory draft, and with their, um, their reserves and everybody, that they could field an army of 200 million. So you think, oh, wow, there it is right there, the Chinese. But I, I, I don't know. I'm not in that kind of idea where it has to be one nation that fields this, this army of 200 million because, again, everything is changing. When the rapture happens and death and all this stuff is going on, and, and the one world government, the one world religion is accomplished during this point, there's going to be a shifting. And I don't think we're going to have clear-cut border lines where it's, you know, the Chinese and the Russians and this. I think a lot of stuff is going to come together. And a 200 million 
man army could come from lots of different places put together under um, the leader of the Antichrist. It's also very possible, if you read through this, that this is not a, a, a flesh army. This is part of these locusts and part of this demonic host that makes the 200. And I kind of more fit into that, kind of as I read through this and I see the narrative. It makes more sense to me. It fits more to me that this is describing, because we're, we're describing demons here. We're describing demonic hosts and hordes all the way through this chapter. And then you get this number 200 million, that, that this particular group is um, uh, more of an angelic or a demonic host of 200 million in this army. In verse 17, it says, And thus I saw the horses in the vision who sat on them, and the breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth, blue, and sulfur, yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of the lions, and out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. Hey, let's have the worship team come up. We'll go ahead and close with a song today. Came out of their mouth with fire and, and smoke and brimstone. And by these three plagues, third of mankind was killed by the fire, by the smoke. Remember I mentioned the smoke already? By the smoke and the brimstone which came out of the mouth. For the power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads. And with them they do, no, they do harm. So with this particular plague and trumpet, uh, uh, these go out and they kill. And a third of the people that are left on planet Earth, besides those that have the seal of God on their forehead, are killed in these plagues. And it says in verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver, brass and stone, wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Now, you know, with with all of this calamity that's taking place, we have not even reached the abomination of desolation, which happens at the three and a half year mark. So again, if the rapture theory, some say that the rapture is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. The rapture is going to happen, say, pre-wrath theory, because the Bible says we're not appointed to wrath. But again, it, none of that fits because of how much wrath is taking place all the way through this, this narrative. And we haven't even got to the three and a half year mark. And then, and then those that are here, it says that they did not repent in verse 21, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. You think, you think these people would repent. You think you'd be scared to death and you'd be crying out, God, help me. It's, 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 it's just unbelievable to me that they don't repent because of their idolatry and their worship of idols. You know, we, think, we, see, we read about idols in the Old Testament. And we think, man, we, we don't have little gods that we worship and little idols that we worship. But yeah, you see here something that's yet future to us, and they're worshiping idols. We just, we just call them different, you know. We park our idols in the garage and we wax them. And we get upset when someone scratches them. And our idols go really fast. Or other things in our lives. And so, yeah, an idol is anything that you put before the Lord. Here's an easy way to tell what's an idol in your life. When, when things go hard, when you're having a bad day, when, when, when you're facing a tough situation, where do you turn first? Where's the first place you turn? Is it your husband? Is it your wife? Do you go to them to, 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 to complain, to, to figure it out? And do, do, does your money solve your problems? Does your cars do your things? And where do you go first? And anything that comes before the Lord can be an idol in our life. So we want to get rid of those things. And, and you know, to repent, 
We have the, a wonderful opportunity right now. We're not facing locusts that are tormenting us for five months and all these things and the hardness of hearts that these men had. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. You know, one way or another, your, your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So you can do that now unto glory and salvation or you can wait and you can, you can do that before you're thrown into eternal lake of fire at the way like throne judgment. But one way or another, your knee bows and your tongue confesses. But God gives us the opportunity to repent of our sins here on the earth, to get our hearts and our lives right with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's only a prayer away. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and it just means you repent. You just realize that you're, you're in a Savior. The word repent means to agree um, the same. That, that what you, your sins are, that they've hurt the heart of God, and that they're, they're sin against God, and you agree the same. And then you ask God to forgive you. And we're all sinners. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you human. And just realize that no matter if your sins are great or if your sins are, are little, maybe you are a great person, honestly, to the core. But you're not perfect. And, and unfortunately for you and I, God's, God's standard is, is perfection. He says, if you want to be holy, Jesus said, all you got to do is be exactly like my Father in heaven. <laughs> yeah, all right. I think I'm going to need some help with that. I think I'm going to need Jesus. And we all need Jesus. And he's just a prayer away. So I'm going to give you guys an opportunity. If God spoke to your heart and you want to ask the Lord into your heart today and you want to get your heart and life right with the Lord Jesus, I just ask you to pray with me. And, and then I ask you to come forward and share with, with our pastors and our leaders that you asked Jesus in your heart. And if you need prayer for anything else, if you need prayer for sickness or for healing, or you just want to share a praise report, or you need some counsel or some advice about something that's going on, you want to talk to one of our pastors, then we'll be up front ready to pray for you. I'll be out in the lobby at the end. You're welcome to hang out and talk to me as much as you need about anything. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Pray that you forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, please come up for individual prayer.